Good morning. My name is Pastor Adam. I'm one of the pastors here at Capshaw. And it is good to uh, digitally, uh, that was hard to get out, digitally gather with you this morning. Um, and if you have your copy of God's Word, I ask you to turn with me to Luke chapter 24. That's where we're going to find ourselves this morning. But we find ourselves in between sermon series. Pastor John, as you just mentioned, finished up a series, and I had to go back and look. That series began January 2019, January 13th, if I'm not believe. Uh, now, it wasn't, we took breaks in between there, but we were constantly coming back through John, and that is what we do 95% of the time. We're going to be preaching through books of the Bible, verse by verse, line by line, and then there is the other 5%, maybe eight times a year, five to eight times a year. Uh, we have topical sermons where you get to see into the hearts of the men that we that, that preach and open up God's Word to you. Sometimes Pastor John, sometimes it's me, sometimes it's Brandon Chris, sometimes it's our other lay elders. And you get to see our pulse. You get to see what drives us, what makes us tick. And sometimes it's directional by nature, um, where we talk about maybe things that we're going to be doing in the future. Sometimes, though, it is philosophical by nature, and it, and it gives a picture of what we believe and what we hold fast to and what we think the church should be about. And, um, and so that's what we're going to look at this morning, a look inside of our ministry and our preaching philosophy. A look into the heart of the elders and what we think uh, is important for people to see and important to believe and important to embrace. And that is that Christ is in all the scriptures. Uh, so this morning we find ourselves in a post-resurrection uh, conversation between Jesus and some of his disciples. Uh, picking up in verse 36 of Luke chapter 24. Text reads this way. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened, and though they saw a spirit, and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that is, I myself, touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they, were while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, that, that's kind of like saying, can you believe this? While they disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have Anything, have you anything here to eat? And gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took and ate before them. Verse 44. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day, rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. 
You are my witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we, God, we pray um, that you would open our eyes to see, just as you did for the disciples, that you would open our minds to see and believe and to rest in Christ. God, I pray that that is what's left. Strip everything away this morning, and what we see is a, a glorified Christ, a risen Christ, and we can marvel at his work. So God, I pray, asking all this in Christ's name, amen. Um, I was a 90s kid, born in the, the, the early 80s, but I, my, much of my childhood was spent in the 90s. And a really popular form of art, this was before fidget spinners, fidget spinners aren't even a thing anymore, I don't think, but I know they're not. Well, actually, my kids probably still have some. Uh, but, but it was before TikTok and all the other things, there was a form of art that you could find in books, and those of you who were 90s kids will know what this is probably. Uh, they're called stereograms. It became a world craze uh, where millions of stereogram books were sold. Uh, and I can remember friends and family all sitting around looking at these. I think I have an example of one up here. Um, friends and family sitting around trying to figure out what does this look like. And, and, and I mastered the, the, the skill to be able to look at these images and, and to see the hidden image in the picture. Basically, it's a computer image. Uh, and it's two separate images, and if you learn, your eyes can focus on each image. One eye focuses on one, the other eye focuses on the other, and it brings it together and makes a three-dimensional picture. My wife and I were sitting in bed the other night, I was talking about this illustration, and she jokingly said, well, yeah, that, these things were the reason I couldn't get in the gifted program at school. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't see it, and so I showed her a technique. And, and part of the technique is learning to, to look at the image really close, stare at one spot, and slowly back it away to the point where your eyes begin to focus. And then you can see the answer to that question was Mario. Mario was the answer to that question in that picture. Um, but the trick to these things, as I said, is you've got to learn the skill. You've got to learn the proper way to make your brain function in a way to to reveal what's really behind it. You see, reading the Bible can sometimes be like viewing a stereogram. Sometimes we read it and we ask, what in the world does this mean? And, and we're able to, to see it because we're, not, uh, because we're, we're taking into account what it, what it would look like if we simply back up a bit and we, and, and we see the true meaning of the Bible, namely that Christ is the center, is central in all the scriptures. You see, at first it, it begins by embracing a reality that there is something there to see, that there is something there to, to focus in on and see. And, and that's what happens when we go into the text. And so that's my prayer this morning. My prayer is that you are convinced this morning that Christ is in all the scriptures and is essential to every time we gather, point people to the finished work of Christ. Well, as I said, this, uh, our passage this morning is after the crucifixion and the resurrection. And earlier in, the chapter of, in, in this chapter of Luke, he's, he's walking beside two men on this road to Emmaus. And the, and the scriptures say that they did not recognize who he was. 
and they were downcast. And, and Jesus said to them, why are you so troubled? And they said, you, uh, are you the only one around here that doesn't know what's going on? In other words, they were saying, have you been living under a rock? And in Jesus' mind, he was saying, well, yeah, actually, I, I have been living under a rock the last three days. Um, but, 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 but they say, the one we thought was the Christ, Jesus, has died. And it says, Jesus took them through all the scriptures this is a seven-mile journey that, that this road is, uh, walking to Emmaus. And so he had time. He opened up. He, he proclaimed to them, taught to them all the scriptures, uh, and, and showing them the, the law of Moses and the prophets. And he showed them how all of those things had been written, were all pointing to him, that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the fulfillment of God for all those who... Uh, who had been broken by their sin. And so they invite them, invite him to their home, and they have a meal together. You notice Jesus has tons of meals in this, in this last chapter of, of Luke. It's a major theme that actually runs through the book of Luke. Uh, and and he broke, they broke bread together, and in the breaking of bread, their hearts were opened, and they recognized that it was Jesus and they said to one another, did our hearts burn? Did our hearts not burn within us? That they were so excited that they ran to tell his disciples. But notice in these encounters, there are a couple of reoccurring themes. At the center of all the scriptures, Luke is wanting us to see this. He's wanting us to see this because Jesus is teaching it. He's wanting to see that at the center of all the scriptures is the person and work of Jesus Christ. See this uh, just all throughout this text. Seeing Christ in all the scriptures is actually good and proper. And let me just say, not everyone agrees on this claim. Uh, that, that Christ is in all the scriptures. And, and, and why it's even important that we... That we beat this drum so fervently. And sure, sure, there uh, are some places in the scriptures that we can all agree that Christ is present in the Old Testament. For instance, it's clear in some of the Messianic Psalms that, that it's talking about a future Jesus. But there, are other, there, but there are lots of stories, aren't there? There are lots of people, lots of places, lots of distinct ideas how is Jesus in all of this? And what I want to do, what I want to show you this morning is that it's actually important that we see this. It is in Scripture, and as we see in this passage, that Jesus believed about himself. You see, the earliest Christian preachers believed in it. Now, remember that they didn't have the New Testament available to them. Uh, the New Testament is compiled much later. So, so what are the apostles? What, what, are, what is Jesus preaching about when they preach about the gospel? What, what is he preaching in when he preaches and teaches about the gospel or the good news? They are preaching the good news from the places like the Psalms and from Deuteronomy and the Israelite stories. But last time I checked, there's no Jesus in the story of Exodus. There's no Jesus in the story of David and Goliath. That's what some people believe. And my hope is that this morning I can convince you 
that seeing Christ in Exodus, seeing Christ in the story of David and Goliath is essential. And so preaching Christ, teaching Christ, interpreting Christ, reading Christ in all the scriptures, perhaps more specifically in the Old Testament, not just the New Testament, um, is essential. So let's begin with a little bit of an interpretive exercise. Um, You've been tasked, let's say you've been tasked to teach the story of David and Goliath. And maybe you're a small group leader. Um, Maybe you're simply having a conversation with your neighbor or with your children or your grandchildren. Maybe it's family devotion that you're going to have this evening with your family. And you come upon that story. So uh, wherever you are in this situation... You take some time and you read the story to familiarize yourself with the story. And you try to figure out what the story means and you start to teach it. And so I actually know how this story goes. The people of Israel encounter the, the, the Philistines uh, and, and they come up with this deal. This deal that they're going to bring, we're going to bring our great warrior and you're going to bring your great warrior, and we're going to let them battle, and whoever wins that battle, they, they win for the whole team. And so, you know this, right? You, you, no one in Israel wants to go against Goliath, uh, the great giant of a man, the fiercest warrior that the earth has ever, ever seen. And David comes and says, I will do it. David goes, fights Goliath, puts the rock in his sling. He slings it, hits him in the head, cuts off his head. He falls down and and he triumphs over Goliath. David is the victor. Okay, so so what is the point? What's the the main point of the story? What's the, the big idea of the story? How, how, and how would you teach it to your children? How would you teach it to the congregation that, that maybe you're pastoring? Perhaps you might start with saying, there are a lot of giants in our lives, aren't there? Giants in our lives that are seemingly insurmountable. Obstacles that come our way. Even though God is sovereign, these difficulties, these trials, these tribulations the social distancing, they come our way, and and how are we going to overcome this particular giant in our life? Perhaps it's financial difficulties. Perhaps it's brokenness in your home. Perhaps it's the impending death of a family member. Perhaps it's your own impending death. But no matter how big the obstacle, we all face them in our lives we all have this in common with David. But, but you and our, some might say, you and I are just like David. Uh, we face these huge giants in our lives. What are you going to do, my friend? How are, how are you going to, uh, how are you going to overcome? Well, find your five stones. Uh no, of course not. We're going to read this symbolically, right? And so some might say, what do these rocks represent? Or instead of getting into the details, the, the point of the text, David had faith in his God, right? And he took responsibility. He trained well. 
He used his skills and overcame the giant, right? Use the unique skills that God has given you. What skills has God given you? What gifts has he given you? Has he given you? He, he has given you so much. You must open your eyes to see what your five stones are. Use the five stones that God has given you to, to, to slay the giant in your life. Yes, you can do it. If you believe in yourself, you can do it. Believe, I believe in you. Believe in yourself. Now let's pass the offering plate. Now I know some of you may be laughing at that. But in all seriousness, a lot of what passes as Christian preaching and teaching is just that. Now, let me ask you a fundamental type question. Isn't it exactly the same kind of teaching you would hear in a Jewish synagogue? Think about it. A Jewish rabbi has access to the Hebrew Bible. What we, what we call the Old Testament, just like, uh, just like what you do. And on every Sabbath day, he has to read the Old Testament and teach it. And how does he teach the story of David and Goliath? Perhaps it's exactly like that. Why? That, that, what's missing in this interpretation and teaching? And, and what's often missing in the so-called Christian teaching and preaching of the Bible? Christ. Christ is what's missing. And so once you take Christ out of the picture, it's all about what? It's all about you. What you must do. And last time I checked, the gospel is not about what you must do. The gospel is about what God has done. Jesus has done it. He says, it is finished, as Pastor John just so beautifully preached on just a few weeks ago. He, he, he does say, I'm go, he, you know, he doesn't say, excuse me, he doesn't say, I'm going to go halfway. Uh, would you meet me? Sounds like a bad country song. Meet, meet, meet you halfway. Uh, not that I'm against country music, uh, but, 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 but think about that. Even in that little exercise, you have to ask yourself, is my reading, my interpretation, my preaching, my, my teaching of the Old Testament any different from a Jewish rabbi? I would even go as far to say, if your interpretation of the Old Testament doesn't offend that faithful rabbi, then it's not distinctly a Christian message at all. Because at the center of a Christian message is a crucified and risen Christ who is our only hope in life and death. Now the other extreme, some people might say, but Adam, I get it. We, we have to preach Christ. But sometimes I hear these preachers that say they uh, want to preach Christ, and it seems like they start in a text, probably you may be saying that about me right now, start in a text, and all they do is just go straight to Jesus. And, and, and they don't even talk about the text. Now, first of all, let me just say, it could be a lot worse. You know, at least they took me to Jesus. The last time I checked, every day, I, I need Jesus. Uh, I need to be told about the old, old story. 
over and over again. Because you and I, we're just like the Israelites. I am so forgetful. And I grumble and mumble my way through the wilderness. So I need to be reminded every day of what Jesus has done and what he continues to do for me by the Spirit, through the Spirit. I need Jesus every day. So my response is to say, it's not all that bad. But we must be faithful to the text. We, we look at the context. We, we, we take into consideration the type of genre that the, that the literature is. We look at the historical setting. We dive into linguistics. We must be faithful to the text that God has given us. That's why we preach verse by verse, line by line. That's why we think it's important. Because otherwise, it would be just our favorite topics over and over and over again. And so we, we get to let God's Word drive us there. Quite frankly, it's easier. I think it's easier than, 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 uh, than, than saying, hey, whatever you want to preach on this week, whatever God's leading you to do. Uh, to me, I think preaching verse by verse, I know. Pastor John ended in chapter 4, verse 5. I know I'm in chapter 4, verse 6 the next week. You know, I, know if that's, I know that's the case. But we must never miss the forest because we're stuck looking at the leaves or the roots of one tree. We must always take a step back and see the full picture. You see, all of this brings me to where I want to make my first point this morning. I only have two points this morning. Because Christ is at the center of all the scriptures, Christ will be at the center of all the things we do here at Capshaw. From our preaching, from our small groups, to the songs we sing, to the way we pick up offering, it's all going to be fueled by the person and work of Jesus Christ and his finished work. Seeing Christ in all the scriptures is actually a biblical thing. I want you to embrace that. This is a biblical concept. It's a biblical idea. It's what Jesus believed about himself and the Bible. Look at, look at verse 25 of Luke 24. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow, uh, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets, prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in the, all the, in the scriptures things concerning himself. Now, if you're writing your Bible, this is a good place to write and circle that word all. All the scriptures. What parts of the Bible points to Jesus? All of it. Now, go with me to verse 44. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the, number one, the law. Number two, the, the law of Moses. Number two, prophets. Number three, psalms must be fulfilled. You may not know this, but this is the three sections of the Hebrew Bible, which uh, we know as the Old Testament. Our Old Testament. And the way the Hebrews arranged them were, were different. They arranged their Bible and law, prophets, and psalms, or, or writings. And so basically, what Jesus has just said, whatever the section of the Old Testament you're in, really is about me. In some way, it's about the Messiah. Now, again, a lot of people don't believe that. They think they can interpret the Bible better than Jesus. But I'm going to go with Jesus. 
Many people are influenced more by the Enlightenment than they are uh, the hermeneutics of Jesus. And it is Jesus who said and told us that the Bible, what it's about, the Bible is a messianic book. Now, this doesn't mean that Jesus is under every rock in the Old Testament, so to speak. It's not that we're opening up Joshua chapter 2, verse 1, and we're showing exactly this is Jesus right here in this passage, right? This rock or whatever. I don't even know what Joshua chapter 2, verse 1 says. But it's not, that's, not, that's not what we're doing. We're, you know, we're not saying, where is Jesus in this verse? It's rather we're, we're recognizing that Jesus is the end of it all. All, all the plot lines converge on Jesus. All the salvific things uh, c- converge on Jesus. It's all flowing to him. He is, as we say, the hero of the Bible. And all he's doing is helping them understand this. He's saying, it's all about me. And this is exactly what Paul said. Not only did Jesus, but the early apostles, as Paul said, Acts chapter 26, picking up midway through 23, he says, I stand here. He's, oh, by the way, he's standing before uh, Agrippa, uh, and he's testifying before Agrippa, and he said, I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said uh, would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer, and that by being the first to rise from the dead, He would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Paul says, I'm just preaching the Bible. Why are you mad at me? I'm just telling you what it's about. And I love what our faith statement puts it simply. It says it this way, that all scripture is a testimony to Christ, who is himself the focus of divine revelation. At some point, as we're teaching, at some point as we're preaching, at some point while we're singing the songs we sing, at some point while we're reading the Bible, we're realizing, we're looking at not just the details of the text, but we're also looking at the big picture. You know, so getting back to the illustration of David and Goliath, you see, David was a type of Christ. He was one that was to come. He was, he was there to represent. And so this notion that you are David, pick up your five stones and go to work. Be strong, be courageous. Well, these are true things. We want to encourage our people to be strong, to be courageous, trust in the Lord because our, our God is an everlasting God. He's, he's not going to fail people. He's not going to leave you alone. He's not going to forsake you. He's going to care for you. Yes, those are true. But the point of that passage is not for you to find yourself in David, for, for you to identify with a hero. No, you are Israel. You're, you're over-trembling in the corner. You have no idea what to do. But God sends a rescuer. He sends David, and he comes, and he overcomes the giant. And he rescues his people. This is a clear picture of Christ who will one day come. You are in the corner. You're terrified. You have no idea to do. In fact, you're probably even resting in your own works. And Jesus comes and he comes to rescue. He 
comes to rescue his people. So beginning next week, Pastor John will begin a new sermon series in the book of Exodus. And more specifically, study in the Ten Commandments. And rest assured, you will see the Ten Commandments. You will see uh, that it is dripping. It is saturated with themes that find its ultimate meaning, its ultimate fulfillment in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Rest assured. And do you know, my friend, it's very easy to know Bible stories but not know the story of the Bible. It's very easy to know about the showbread and the tabernacle, to know where the rocks came from in in, in Nehemiah's wall, but, but not know the big picture of how it all points to the Messiah. So you think about this, in John chapter 5, Jesus told the Pharisees, you're searching for these things, and I think I probably forgot to include this verse. Um, You're searching for these things, and he's saying, they're all about me. And that's why you don't understand it. And this is the logic of Luke 24. When you understand the resurrection with the cross, the whole Bible opens up to you. The reason they didn't understand, the Pharisees at the time, the reason they didn't understand that, it, that, it, that, that this points, uh, they didn't, mainly because they didn't, they didn't see the resurrection. They didn't understand it. And so once Paul puts the resurrection earlier, we know this from Paul's life, um, once Paul puts the resurrection with the cross, the whole Old Testament opened up to him. He understands it all. In fact, uh, D.A. Carson points out in one of his meditations through the Bible when he writes this, he's talking about Paul and his encounter uh, with the risen Christ. And this is what he says. Um, What was Paul's perspective before he was converted? For him, the notion of a crucified Messiah was a contradiction in terms. But now on the Damascus road, Saul meets the resurrected, glorified Jesus. If Jesus were alive and glorified, then somehow his death on the cross did not prove he was damned. Far from it. The claim of believers that God had raised him from the dead and that they had seen him must be true. And they could only mean that God vindicated Jesus. Then what on earth did his death mean? If Jesus was under the curse of of God when he died, yet was vindicated by God himself, he must have died for others. Somehow his death absorbed the righteous curse of God that was due others and canceled it out. In light of that, the entire Hebrew scriptures look different. Was it not written that a suffering servant would be wounded for our transgressions? Does the death of countless lambs and bulls really take away sin? Or do we need, as it were, a human lamb of God, a human Passover lamb? So Paul, he understands the whole Bible when he actually saw the resurrection. Because, and and that's what this passages in Luke 24 because before that time he had a picture of the Messiah from the Old Testament but he's a king 
Then you have this strange, mysterious figure in Isaiah about the suffering servant. Some people are looking for two different types of messiahs at this point. A king and a suffering servant. And so Deuteronomy says, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So, so why would you believe in Jesus being hung on a tree? He's on a tree. Oh, he's resurrected. That means I better go back and read the whole book again. That means I can go back and read the scriptures and understand it a whole lot better. You know, it's kind of like, and I, and I hate to use this illustration, uh, it's kind of like the movie The Sixth Sense with Bruce Willis. And if you've never seen that movie, then I wasn't the one to recommend it to you. But anyway, in this movie, you watch it and you realize that in, at the end, oh, Bruce Willis, is, he's actually dead. Uh, and, and he's talking to this boy throughout the whole movie, and, you know, he doesn't know that he's dead at the time. But, but you don't know it until the end. And then when you go back and watch it a second time, and you realize, oh, you know, I see the way he's looking at her, but he's not really looking at her. And, and all these things kind of come together, and you see this full picture. You know, once, the same is true for the Bible. Once we understand the end, you go back, read the beginning, and it makes a lot more sense. And fortunately for us, living on this end of redemptive history and where we are, we get the full picture of the revelation of God. And we even have what is going to happen in the future. And so once you understand the end, you go back, it all makes sense. And of course, the gospel is the opposite of the sixth sense because our hero is alive. He's not dead. And because we know that as Carson and others have pointed out, once you know the end of the Bible, it affects the way you read the earlier parts of the Bible. You can't read it without knowing that. It's impossible. And why would you want to? And so Jesus is saying, hey guys, you've been reading all this stuff, and you can't put it together, but it's all about me. I love James Hamilton, former professor of mine, uh, says the Old Testament is a messianic document written from a messianic perspective to sustain a messianic hope. D.A. Carson says again that the entire Bible pivots on one weekend in Jerusalem about 2,000 years ago. He's talking about where we find ourselves in the passage this morning, where we ended last week. In this lies the primary reason we seek to be a gospel-centered church. Because it's biblical. The Bible is a gospel-centered book. A great story of redemption about God and, and how he's reconciling back to himself uh, a broken, sin-cursed, sinful people. How he's bringing them back to himself through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And every week when we gather together and we open the word and we sing the songs, our commitment to you as elders of Capshaw, Pastor John, as our commitment to you is to feed you Christ. So it's biblical. But I also want to show you that it's practical. That it's practical. This is my second point. I'm just going to briefly talk about it for a second. When God enables us to see the glory of the gospel, he sets our hearts on fire for him 
and for his mission. And I love this. In verse 44, here's what you do. You take your Bible, you teach it, realizing that it's all about the Messiah. In verse 45, look what it says. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. Oh, don't, don't miss this theme in the Bible. If God doesn't open our eyes to see Christ, then we will miss it. And, quite frankly, you'll probably become really frustrated with our preaching and teaching at Capshaw. Don't miss this theme. This is a part, this, this part is an act of God. If we are left to ourselves, we would never see God. But, when he does open our eyes, something practical happens. Something practical happens. Look, look with me at verse 31 again. Jesus just explained all the scriptures and how they pointed to him, and he says in verse 31, And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Verse 32, They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? You ever met someone who is totally obsessed with something? It's literally all they think about, and then they talk about it. They talk about it all the time. You know, my son is like that right now with Fortnite. We're like, son, you got to stop talking about Fortnite. No more. It's because he's totally enamored with Fortnite, much like a lot of kids in the world. But their hearts, they, they burn a passion for the Lord. And they, what do they do? What happens after this? They ran to tell the others. They ran to go tell the disciples. This is the effect. Through the power of the gospel, God gives us a new heart. One that's for his glory. He, he frees us from, the living, uh, from living solely by the law. Living, uh, thinking that we can go to work in order to earn favor from God. Listen, he's already opened our hearts and minds and Christ earned all the favor from God. He's already given us this new heart of flesh and he's he, he's he's justified us he's he's given us grace and mercy and we don't deserve it you see the practical side of being gospel-centered is this you know i think about this uh, you know oftentimes i get to do marriage counseling and i come in and usually one husband the husband's there the wife's there and they're constantly saying you know, they're fighting, they're, they're, they're miscommunicating, they're talking over each other. One person's talking, and the other person's sitting back and thinking about their rebuttal before they, and, and, and you know, it's all her fault, it's all his fault, and all these things. And, and so instead of me giving them a list of, you know, one, two, three, do this, go to date night, go to do these things, go to these things, one of the first things I do is remind them of the gospel. Because here's what the gospel does. It's, it's a... It's an, it brings an equal playing field. It levels the playing field. And it reminds us that we're not as awesome as we think we are. <laughs> and we're reminded that Christ paid the penalty for our sins. 
He's been justified. We've been justified. Christ has been vindicated by God, and, and we've been justified when we believe in the risen Christ, and we believe and rest in his final work for our salvation. That produces something in somebody that, that can't be manufactured on its own. And quite frankly, is the foundation for a husband learning to not think about himself and to think about his wife. And is the foundation for the wife to, 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 to honor her husband and to, and to respect her husband, you know, because God has done everything in Christ. And if she's respected by God because of what Christ has done, then she doesn't have to fight for the other things. You see, these truths, they set us free, free to live for his glory and to work for the expansion of his kingdom. And that's exactly how Luke closes up this gospel, by giving us the mission. Verse 46, he says, And said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Beginning with Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. A mission to make much of his name right here in Huntsville, Alabama. And also to the ends of the earth. And notice he doesn't begin with this command. He ends with it. And the order is so, so important. The Bible doesn't confuse this order. Therefore, we want to be a people that... that that doesn't confuse this order, and we get it right. This is why our elders are passionately devoted to being a gospel-centered church. The gospel is the only thing that can save someone. The gospel is the only thing that can change our affections. The gospel is the only thing that will compel us to live our lives for the glory of another rather than for ourselves. But notice this. Even fulfilling this command is an act of God in the gospel. Verse 49, And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. He tells the disciples who've attended the best seminary in the world for three years, they've gotten the best degree you possibly can, the best Bible degree you possibly can get, and what does he tell them to do? Sit down. Wait. You can't do it on your own. You can't do it. You need power. That's what they were lacking. He's alluding to the coming of the Holy Spirit in the day of Pentecost. And if you, if you continue to read in Luke, which is the very next book, uh, this is a two-part series he's writing. And in this second series is the book of Acts where he shows the book of Pentecost and how then at that point the gospel is spread out to the ends of the earth, to the ends of the earth. And so, what do we need to proclaim this good news to our friends, to our children, to the nations? We need the power of the Spirit. And this reality should encourage us. We're never alone. The gospel brings power over death, power over our sin, and power over our lives as we go on mission for him. So, Capshaw, we need the gospel. You never outgrow your need for the gospel. 
So come back again next week and hear the gospel. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we love you. And we thank you for the finished work of Jesus Christ. We thank you for your word that reveals, Father, this grand redemptive plan of salvation from Genesis to Revelation, all testifying to the work of Jesus, what has been accomplished and what will be accomplished in the future. And we long for that day. We long for that day of Christ's return. God, we should see in your word the promises that you've kept over and over and over and over again, Father, should be a reminder that we can trust your word. We can trust that your word uh, reveals who we really are, and we can trust that it, it reveals who Christ is and what he's done for us in our place. So God, I just pray by your spirit, we know that according to even what verse 45 this chapter says, we can't do it without your help. We need you to open our eyes. We need you to show us Christ. God, I'm prone to wonder. I'm prone to, to wonder and to forget, but God, you will hold us fast. And we thank you for your kindness to us. Lord, we ask all that in Jesus' name. Amen.